Good afternoon. What a wonderful hymn to prepare ourselves to receive the bread and also right now to receive the bread of life, the living word of Christ. Would you turn to James chapter 5? James chapter 5, we're getting toward the end and now I have a final plan at last, although today is not what I thought it would be. Uh, three more sermons in the book of James, I think. <laughs> and today we just consider the first phrase of James chapter 5 and verse 16, the first part. Therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So we continue in the subject of prayer that we found here in verses 13 to 18 of James. When afflicted, you should pray. When relieved from suffering, cheerful and rejoicing, our prayers should be songs and psalms of praise to God. There is no occasion for the believer where prayers are not appropriate. And prayer is God's chosen means for his people to call upon him to receive help and to receive comfort, to learn quiet confidence and the strengthening of our faith as we learn dependence on him and trust in his sovereign and good purposes for the church for whatever we may be facing in our lives. Now in this short text or phrase before us today, in verse 16, James by the Holy Spirit brings us a reminder of one of the essential aspects that should be present in every prayer. So I'm going to digress a little bit today and talk not only of confessing our sins one to another, but confession to God also, confession of sin. And last week we observed in that apostolic prayer of faith that he was talking about, God may sometimes bring his people to sickness by his loving fatherly discipline. And that this prayer, as sin is acknowledged and confessed, leads to the forgiveness of sins, which is implied in that verse. This is clear in the scriptures, and that James continues in our texts, this is what he does, stresses. Confession precedes forgiveness. And as Christ taught, may even be conditional on our willingness to forgive others' transgression against us. And may I remind you there in the disciples' prayer uh, in verse, from verse 15, and forgive us our debts, we are called to pray, as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you give others, forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Our sermon title today, if you want one, is Confession is the Path to Pardon. Confession is the Path to Pardon. And when we pray as Christians, what do we do? We bow our heads, we certainly bow our hearts to ask for God's blessing in a time of need. Or we do that in, in, as a form of worship and praise to God and to give thanksgiving to God in our prayers or to pray for the kingdom of God as we had a wonderful season of prayer, praying for missionaries in the church of Christ and for our church. And when we come to pray, is it not true 
that our most heartfelt desire when we pray to God is that God should hear our prayers. That God should take note of our prayers. And that as we come to pray and we lift our hands before him, as it were, that we would be acceptable in his sight. For if we come with a list of prayers, but we are not acceptable in his sight, that he would hear our cry. And that's what the psalmist cries. That was the desire of his heart. In Psalm 82, you needn't go there. Verse 2 says, Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift my hands towards your holy sanctuary. This is what we do when we pray. And surely our desire is, Lord, hear my prayer. Regard this prayer. May I be acceptable in your sight. And these are big questions. And the psalmist throughout the psalms, and you could find many cases, grapples with these questions. And in Psalm 24, he gives questions and answers to this. Listen again, note turn there, Psalm 24, verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the whole Lord? Who will stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his eyes, soul to what is false, and he does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So who may come before the Lord? Who may lift holy hands in prayer to him and before him? Surely there is none. If these are the qualifications, surely none can come before God. And that is true, of course, outside of Christ without a mediator, without pardon sin and the righteousness of Christ. This is impossible to lift holy hands before him. And I've often wondered at the prayer of an unbeliever who does not trust Christ, who does not believe in Christ, but believes as a God, and he offers prayers to God. And, and it is said that the only prayer that God hears of the unbeliever is a cry for mercy and for salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. But the implication here in the psalmist's prayer is that for the believer, when he lifts his hands to heaven, he must not be harboring sin in his heart. Clean hands and a pure heart, those are the ones whom God takes note of in prayer. Lifting hands in prayer that ought to be holy and to become perhaps by hiding sin in our hearts. By perhaps coming before God to the table with unconfessed transgressions in our hearts, rushing into God's presence with a list of petitions. This will not invite the blessing of the Lord and the righteousness of God that the psalmist pleads for here in his petition. Brothers and sisters, this is the point here. Confession of sin must be a daily exercise of the believer before God and to God and to one another. And this important topic on confession, I think, warrants our full attention today. And we'll get to the prayer of the righteous man that has great power in his working that I hinted at last week, next Lord's Day. And the week after that, we'll close off our study in this text. So today we have really simple and unbaptist one main heading with several sub-points. And our main point is this, 
God pardons confessed sin. God pardons confessed sin. And here's the fact of the matter. Until Christ comes or calls, our, remain, our remaining sin is finally removed. Our prayers to God are always to include confession of sin. And this is a teaching of all the scriptures. And true sorrowful com- confession by God's grace must lead to repentance. The turning away and the forsaking of our sin. This is not just words that we offer to conform to the Lord's prayer, forgive us our sin, but the confession of our sin must lead to repentance and the forsaking of our sin. True heartfelt confession must come from a heart of remorse for sin and a hatred of sin, for sin is the transgression of and wanton conformity to the law of God. And we know the passage in First John 1 so well, where John seems to sum up the teaching of this subject. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we con- And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, when we sin against one another, as James says here, We must confess our sins one to another. And that is what he addresses here. But our sin is always against God. And our sin must first and foremost be confessed to God daily. Brothers and sisters, this is a a serious topic for the believer. Because when the believer sins as we do in thought, word and deed, sins of omission and sins of commission, we don't just sin but we sin against the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who has shared his blood for us for the remission of our sins. But God has in Christ forgiven all our sins. And I've wondered if you've ever thought, well, I did not confess my sins today. But that's okay because Christ has forgiven all my sins. And you may ask, why must I continually confess my sin if Christ's blood has washed away and cleansed me from all of my sin, my past sin, my present sin, and my future sin. Why? And let me suggest three important reasons. And the first one's very obvious. Why must we continually confess our sins? Christ has died for our sins. Our sins are the things of the past. Number one, because we continue to sin. We must confess our sin because we continue to sin, even after we receive forgiveness for our sin. And the point is we need to be aware of the power and of the reality of remaining sin in our lives. And we need to be aware so that we can resist our sin through the power of Christ, the help of the Spirit with it, which is within us. Confess your sin, keeping our consciences tender by the word of Christ. Why must we continue to confess our sin? Because we continue to sin. Number two, because of remaining sin, God commands us to continue continual confession and repentance while we are in 
chapter 40. This is a command of God. This is how Christ taught his disciples to pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us always. And this will be until he comes. Until he comes. Every day, confess your sins to God because he commanded it. And because you sin every day. But there will be a day, as 1 Corinthians 15 points out to us. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. And then we can stop confessing our sins. Because when we see him, we will be like him. And thirdly, why must we continually confess our sin? Because confession is part of our sanctification. And it is a preparation for our suitedness to heaven. We must continue to confess our sin. It is a part of our sanctification and our suitedness, our preparation to suitedness for heaven. And God uses the means of confession and repentance by the Spirit to conform us while on this earth by small degrees by ever greater but small degrees, continually and sometimes painfully into the image of his dear son. So that when we sin, we must confess our sin and be aware of our sin. And remember this, Christ is conforming us into the image, into his own image. And next to the glory of God, Sanctification for the believer is the great thing that we should mind. For it is the progression of holiness that proves that we are sons of God. As John said before the verses of confession there, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. And I love Proverbs 4.18 which describes the progress of sanctification in this way. That path of walking with God, is, that path of holiness with God, of which confession of sin, daily confession of sin, is a part. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. When Christ comes and we are like him, and we no longer will sin, and the body of death will be gone. That's why we ought to continue to confess our sin. Next, let's consider three benefits of confessing our sin. What are the benefits of confessing our sin? And you may think of many other things, but I've just pinpointed three things. Three great benefits, the confession of our sin every day. Number one, Confession is the best way to teach our souls to hate sin. Confession of sin is the best way to teach your soul to hate sin. No one likes to recount the errors of their ways. And we all do stupid things. We all do sinful things. In our youth and in our midlife and in our older age, we all do this and we don't like to think about it. We don't like to think about our sins. And to think back when you're getting older of the sins of your youth, our past sins and our present sins, because they are an embarrassment to the Christian. They are a great shame to us before God. 
And that's why the psalmist cries out, that psalm of repentance in Psalm 51, for I know my transgressions. And can you feel the pain in that sentence? We know our transgressions, and we need to call them up, and we need to confess them to God. And that is how we will hate our sin more, by recalling them in confession before God. And then let me add, put them away. And then put them away for Christ. And God does that very thing. Confession, as we said, ought to lead to repentance. So if we do not confess and bring to remembrance before God and to others our sin daily, if we would try to hide our sin from God, we don't confess certain sins. We all have these little sins tucked away in the back of our heart, and we don't ever seem to, to, to bring them up. And we pray generally for confession of sin, but there are some sins that we are not done with yet, and so we don't bring them up before God. We try to hide them forever and forfeit blessed repentance that gift from God true repentance that leads to forgiveness and life and I quote sin is sweet in commission but bitter in remembrance sin is the vomit of the soul and we don't like to recount our sin and we need not recount our sin if we confess our sin daily Jeremiah 3, 12 and 13. And God is reasoning with his people. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your sin. And this Israel would not do. Acknowledge your sin. Confess your sin to God. Sin that is not confessed may be forgotten by you, but confessing sins to God and even to others at times will act as a reminder to bring up that sin that is unconfessed and say, Lord, I have the sin. And it's embarrassing. And this is something that has been with me for a while. But I confess that sin. I call it up like a red beacon of shame so that we can hate our sin. And so confession is good for our souls because it helps us hate our sin. And we do remember our sin. In Psalm 27, again, the psalmist's personal walk with Christ and his sin is so vivid in the Psalms. Remember not the sins of my youth. Why? Because he's remembering them and he hates them. They're an embarrassment to them. To him, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. What's the psalmist doing? He's pleading with God not to remember his sins because they're horrible, the things that they have done. They torment me and I hate the thought of them. They're a great embarrassment and bring him to feel shame before God and others. But brothers and sisters, it is not God who remembers our sins. They, though confessed and repented of, we sometimes carry with us, don't we, like a dark shadow, a reminder, the hatred for sin and our shame and our folly in our sin. Hebrews 12, 8 verse 12, the Holy Spirit reminds us, 
for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sin no more. So why would you hide your sin? Why would you not turn from your sin? Oh Christian, the minute you sin, confess your sin to God. Confess your sin to God. Psalm 103 is a blessed reminder of the blessedness and confe- of confessed sin and forgiven sin. Confessed and forgiven sin is a great release of guilt and it brings new life. Listen to the Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all your, his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? And those forgiven sins, that blessed thought and that guilt removed, that huge stone rolled away, what a blessing. And in Psalm 11 and 12, of this, in verse 11 and 12 of the same psalm, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove their transgressions, our transgressions from us. Consider what would be the reason for hiding your transgressions and not acknowledging and confessing them is that you are actually resolved not to be done with those sins would be the only reason you do not confess your sin because you know in your heart I'm not done with that sin that darling sin that secret sin it is an unnecessary burden and a dead weight in your Christian walk and will deprive you of the blessed assurance that is ours at the cross Hebrews 12 (laughs) encourages us here, therefore commands us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that holds and clings so tightly and that we can run with perseverance the race set before us. What is the bottom line with sin? Don't handicap yourself with your unconfessed sin. Don't handicap yourself in this race. Christ died for that weight of sin. And it is only at the foot of the cross, like in Pilgrim's Progress, pulling up that steep hill. And when he gets to the foot of the cross, only there does the burden of sin roll away. Look to Jesus, Christian sinner, which we all are. Confess your sins deliberately. Count your blessings, name them one by one. (laughs) Count your sins, name them one by one. Confess them and be rid of them. Resolve to be done with them every day. That's the first benefit of confession. Secondly, confession is an act of mortification. Confession is an act of mortification. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, Paul commands the church to mortify the sins of the body. And we know this as believers. We are to put to death the sins of the body. And, and Paul mentions this in Colossians 3 and verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. We will never put to death sin 
that we do not confess. It's alive and well in our remaining sin and in our bodies. We will hide it like a forbidden article and it will eat at us like cancer and deprive us of the blessing of God until we confess it. Brothers and sisters, you know what is sin and the Spirit points out what is sin. Confess your sins to God. Brothers and sisters, confess your sins one to another. Proverbs 28 warns us, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Get rid of the burden. Get rid of the handicap. Confess your sins to God. Hate your sin. Mortify your sin. And to confess your sin is the first step to mortifying your sin. The remembrance of your sin will increase your hatred of it and give you the strength and resolve by God's Spirit to repent of it and to put it to death. Confess all your sin to God and when necessary and helpful, confess your sins one to another. And certainly when you have sinned against a brother, you ought to confess your sin to your brother for sin. But sometimes it may be helpful to confess your sins and your faults and your shortcomings to your brother or a friend for prayer and for help. And let's just point out here a very important thing. There is no such thing as a small or an insignificant sin. Sin is sin and it's abhorrent to God. Sin is sin and it's abhorrent to God. It is your open sin It is your secret sin, and it's the smallest transgression of the law that nailed our Savior to the tree. Confess your sins to God. And Paul in Corinthians, a passage I've often frowned at and wondered about, but he urges the Corinthians to judge themselves correctly, and only then will you be will or only then will you not be condemned and judged. Listen to it, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Don't judge your sin by comparison to bigger sins. Don't consider your small sins insignificant in comparison to the excessive wickedness of the world and of others. Sin is sin. Judge yourself not according to the customs of society and so-called acceptable norms. Confess all your sins to God. Confess your sins one to another. Unless you confess them, you have no chance of destroying them. Unless you acknowledge and confess your sin, you have no chance of mortifying your sin. We all know the big C word that we're all afraid of, isn't it? And the smallest cancer, the smallest cancer, if not treated, will probably grow and be your end if you just leave it there. So unconfessed sin will destroy your witness and your peace and your joy. And one day remember that all of your secret sins Your most secret sins will be shouted from the rooftop. 
Paul says in Romans, for if you live according to flesh, you will die. But if by spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Brothers and sisters, there is no merit or forgiveness merit in confessing your sin. But this is the life of the Christian because he has received pardon from Christ. It is Christ who forgives. It is Christ who pardons our sin. And the believer confesses his sins so that he may put them to death. Recall the psalmist David uh, when he was king, in fact. You remember how David tried so hard to hide his sin. Heinous sins they were, murder and adultery, but he attempted to hide them. In fact, he committed murder to hide his sin of adultery. And how did this start? It was a small little sin. It was a small little sin. He just took a peep at Bathsheba, taking a bath, and lust crept in. He did not confess it. He did not bring that sin to God and confess it, forsake it, and mortify it. Blood never departed from his own family, and he learned by bitter experience not to try and conceal sin, but to confess it. For I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Acknowledge your sin, confess your sin, put your sin to death. Psalm 32, I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And the Lord forgave the iniquity of my sin. Number three, the third benefit of confessed sin. Thirdly and finally, confession opens the door to forgiveness. Confession opens the door to forgiveness. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. If you have sinned against a neighbor, a brother or a sister, if you have sinned against your own child, they may forgive you. But how can you receive forgiveness unless you acknowledge it and confess your sin to them? You will live with that burden of that sin if you do not confess your sin. And we've noticed here in James that some of the early church in the churches in the dispersion had become sick because they did not confess their sin. And in the context of that, those miraculous healings in the apostolic age, these were not healed or raised up until they confessed their sins to God. Then God healed them, and their sins were forgiven. Brothers and sisters, this is the most glorious blessing of confession of sin, and it is the gift that keeps on giving, because confession of sin leads to pardon of sin. But you may ask today, to what extent should we confess our sins one to another. Do I spill all and reveal all my sin to everybody? No, this is not what is directed here. If you have sinned against the brother, certainly you need to seek forgiveness from the brother. And where a sin has been of a public nature, then they ought to be more publicly confessed, obviously, so as it may best reach all who are concerned. And sometimes, it may be helpful to confess your sin to a pastor 
or a praying close friend or to a spouse that you may that you may receive help and the prayer of the saints to God for repentance and mercy and pardon. But we're not to think that James is instructing us to confess all our sin publicly, but so far as confession is necessary to be reconciled one with another. And when your conscience is disturbed for a sin against a brother or sister, be ready to confess your sin. And then perhaps to mention one other thing, and that is that it may at times be helpful for Christians to disclose their personal weaknesses and infirmities to one another, where there are special intimacies, in intimacies and friendships, and there where we may help each other by prayers to obtain pardon of their sins and power against them. Those who make confession of their faults to one another should pray for and with one another. But first and foremost, confess your sin, all your sin, to God. It is the only path to forgiveness. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it is not merited. It is not the act of confession that forgives your sins. It is the means that God has ordained through the Spirit to convict the sinner of his sin, that we may bring it in confession and receive forgiveness for our sins. Why does God forgive us our sins? God forgives his, our sins for his own name's sake. And for Christ's sake. Just confess your sins that you may be healed. Confess your sins that you may be forgiven for Christ's sake. Listen to this Isaiah. I like to call it the Gospel of Isaiah. I shouldn't do that. Isaiah chapter 43. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my name's sake. And I will not remember your sins. Believers, confess your sins to God. And to close off, I'd like us to consider the gospel picture there in Leviticus. And remember, Christ went outside the camp for us. And he made atonement for our sin by his own body and by his blood as we come to remember this afternoon. Let me just read this to you and you'll recognize the passage in Leviticus 16. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of the meeting and the altar, this is the priest, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay his, both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the man who is in readiness. The goat shall appear, the goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area. And he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. And I will remember your sins no more. What a blessed assurance. What a blessed promise. A way of summary in prayer so far. Verse 13 directs us to pray for ourselves. 
is anyone suffering, he should pray. Verse 14 directs to request the prayers from our pastors. Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. And verse 16 directs private Christians to pray for one another. Therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And in all these prayers, we must confess our sins to God every day. Because we continue to sin. And because we are commanded to confess our sin. And because sin, confession is a part of our sanctification. It is the means that God uses to remind us that we may hate our sin. And then consider, finally, the blessed and great benefits of confession of sin. It's confession is the best way to teach the soul to hate sin. Confession is an act of mortification. Confession, greatest of all, is the door to forgiveness. Next Lord's Day, Lord willing, we'll consider verses 16b to 18 and observe that God works powerfully through the prayers of the righteous. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this blessed command that we are to confess our sins to God, that we are to confess our sins one to another. Oh, Lord, we pray, help us to hate our sin. Help us not only to acknowledge our sin, but to confess our sin and to repent of our sin and to mortify our sin that we may walk in newness of life. Oh, Lord, how we thank you for this great promise that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Christ's name, amen.